This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Good Risings, I'm Liz Earnshaw, and this is Hash It Out. This week, we've been exploring grief following a breakup. So far, we've looked at the very common response of denial, and I offered you some suggestions for managing it. Then we looked at how sometimes our denial can turn into anger and rage. Today, we're going to look at despair, and we're going to look at that sadness that comes along with a breakup. When people are healing from heartbreak, there are often many tears. People will come into my office after a breakup, and before a word even comes out, they'll start to cry. You might be driving down the road and hear a song you loved, dance to together at the bar, and the floodgates open. Almost anything can trigger the tears. A smell, a memory, a sound, a sight. It can be incredibly gut-wrenching. Sometimes you'll feel this way one moment, then completely neutral another. Maybe that's followed up by anger and then denial and then back to sadness. So grief is complicated and often feels chaotic. It doesn't have a direct trajectory. However, the sadness is usually the primary feeling that people notice immediately following their breakups. In fact, when University of California assessed 114 people who had just experienced a breakup, more than 40% of them were clinically depressed. And of that group of people struggling with depression, 12% of them had moderate to severe depression. Heartbreak is no joke. As always, there's an evolutionary reason that people respond to being left behind with so much sadness. It's a final signal to those around them that they need help. Crying, laying in bed, feeling lethargic are all meant to be signals to the world around you that you need extra love, that you need help, that you need care. In the early days of humanity, this was really helpful. You would be in your village with everyone around you and they would see how despairing you were and take care of you. But now, we often have these moments of sadness holed up in our rooms, alone in the bathroom at work, or driving down the highway on the way home. So no one really sees our signal. Take that in. Our body wants people to know that we're in despair and that we're struggling and that we need help. But most of the time, these signals occur in the privacy of our own homes. Our sadness also has another purpose. It asks us to be quiet and reflect. It asks us to accept reality, even if it's hard. And if we're able to be gentle with ourselves during this time, we can begin to assess what we want next for ourselves. When it comes to this type of sadness, many of my clients will say to me, Liz, this is unbearable. I know I need to move forward, but I just can't stop crying. I'll cry randomly at my computer at work. I can't even go out to dinner with friends without being triggered to cry by something I see on the menu. And at night, I'm just so lonely. It hurts. 
To help people deal with the seemingly endless moments of tears, I suggest two things. One, respond to that evolutionary need. Your body wants you to signal to others you need help. Find people who are trustworthy, gentle, and loving to be there for you. Don't reach out to your ex to signal to them how upset you are. Don't reach out to a friend who has little empathy and is going to tell you it's time to move on. But find somebody that you know is kind, even if it means you have to explain to them what you need, so that they can be there for you when you're really grieving. Give in to the decadence of eating ice cream on the couch with a best friend while you cry and watch a movie. Be a Charlotte and let Carrie feed you soup in bed. The second thing I suggest is that for the moments where you aren't going to be reaching out to people and rather need to have time to be reflective and set aside time for yourself, try something called grief time. Grief time is a time that you plan to grieve. This doesn't mean that you're going to bypass the grieving that just takes you by surprise. It does mean that you can give yourself full permission to let the tears flow at a particular moment. When you schedule grief time, you pick a time every day to fully grieve. So let's say you pick 8 p.m. When something hits you during the day, you're going to say to yourself and put your hand on your chest and be really gentle, but say something like, this is so upsetting and I really want to just sit and listen to this song and be sad, but I also want to be present at work right now. I'm going to listen to this sad song at 8 o'clock tonight during my grief time and I'll let myself cry as much as I want during that time. During grief time, you're going to allow yourself to journal, look at old photos, hear sad songs, and lay in bed and cry. You are not going to allow yourself to reach out to your ex. You have to set an alarm, and when that goes off, it's going to be time to move on from the grief time into a transitional activity. This should be an activity that feels good and is soothing to you. So it might mean that you go watch a funny show after your grief time, or you take a shower, or you call your best friend. Tomorrow, we're going to look at a few tips for moving forward. I'm Liz Earnshaw, and you can find me at Liz Listens on Instagram. Thank you for listening to Good Risings. If you enjoy this podcast, please let us know by leaving a review. We love hearing from you. Until next time, love on your loved ones. And when that gets hard, tune in to me to hash it out. Good Risings is presented by Cavalry Audio.